From the American Association of Nurse Practitioners, I'm your host, Dr. Sophia Thomas, and this is NP Pulse, the voice of the nurse practitioner. Welcome to NP Pulse, AANP's official podcast, bringing you unique nurse practitioner voices and expertise on issues that matter to NPs and our patients. Tis the season for holiday celebration and family, and unfortunately, for illnesses of the mind and the body. But even though the days may be getting a little darker earlier, NP Pulse urges you not to despair, but to turn to today's guests. Drs. Terry Dilks and Ruth Carrico for evidence-based solutions to prevent mental and physical disease through a combination of screening, vaccination, self-care, and more. Welcome to NP Pulse, Terry and Ruth. Sophia, this is Terry Dilks. I am a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner, and I am so thrilled to be able to talk about psychiatric topics with you today. It's great to be with both of you. My name is Frank Kirk. I am an infection practitioner. And also so delighted to be part of this event today. Thank you both for being with us today. When we decided to record an episode and talk about winter wellness, we knew it was crucial to talk about the body and the mind. And I'd really like to introduce both of you individually first, and then we're going to broaden the discussion to get your thoughts on a number of important topics related to winter wellness. I get home from work every day, and it's already dark outside. I wake up in the morning and leave for work, and it's dark, and there's the stress of the holidays and a lot of cold and flu things going around. So we really have a lot to talk about. But first, Ruth, could you tell us about your journey to becoming a nurse practitioner and how you decided to focus on studying and then working to prevent contagious disease and infections? Yeah, I've had quite a journey. I started my career as a bedside nurse in the intensive care unit. And when there, it just struck me, why do things happen both to patients in terms of their outcomes and also what are risks to healthcare workers? Now, I, I started in my career right about the time that, that the HIV pandemic emerged, and so a real risk for everyone. So that really got my interest in infectious diseases, and I learned very early in my career, one of the best things that can happen to any of us is to have a good mentor. So I was lucky enough to actually have several uh, throughout my career, and but my prompt in infectious diseases was my desire to understand what happens associated with care. What about the care that I'm providing and how do I make sure that my patients have the best outcome? And I quickly learned that the best way to approach that is to make sure that I'm able to practice at the highest level, the fullest extent of my license. And really that prompted me to become a nurse practitioner because I wanted to be in as much control of my patients, my interactions, my decision-making as is possible. And I have to tell you, I have not uh, changed my opinion about nursing. I've loved it from the first day and I love it today. Oh, that's wonderful. And my, my story is very similar. I worked uh, as a bedside nurse in the ICU and quickly wanted to see what I could do to help prevent these preventable diseases. These people were ending up in the ICU with things that were a lot were easily prevented. And so that was that's what triggered me on my journey. And Terry, tell us about your journey to becoming an NP and then how you focused on psych mental health. 
I never wanted to be a nurse ever. My, my mother was what I call a nurse in the womb. And she was an operating room nurse and everything just had to be just so everything had to be cleaned. And I thought that was nursing that did that to her. A friend of mine who was also a nurse said, you need to take a look at me because I don't do that. So it's not nursing. It's who your mom is. So I started my nursing journey at West Texas State University. I thought I'm going to start nursing, then I'm going to switch back to psychology. So I've always had this interest in psych. And then I got into it and realized, man, I really like nursing. And then I found psychiatric nursing while I was in school. And, and I knew that was home for me. I knew that was where I would be. And then I, I became a counselor, an LPC licensed professional counselor with a master's degree in psychology. And I thought I died and gone to heaven. I was just going to do counseling for the rest of my life. And I worked with some really ill individuals, those with dissociative identity disorder, those who had borderline personality disorder, all who had trauma in their background. And after about 10 years or so of it, I began to get really burnt out. My husband suggested I become a nurse practitioner. I thought he was out of his mind. But I had enrolled and discovered, yes, I still love nursing. I still love what I do and I can do what I do as a psychiatric nurse practitioner. So the journey has been one of me just stumbling into things. It wasn't a planned thing, but I love the ability to help people out from a psychopharmacological basis, as well as utilizing my psychotherapy skills. So it's a nice marriage for me. I'm really happy with it. I'm certainly happy you're a psych mental health MP <laughs> because you and I have had many conversations Yes, we um, and I've had free therapy. It's been great. We started this podcast in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic as a way to try to get more information out to people, find a way that we could connect with people in a new and upcoming way. And so this podcast was started. And Ruth, you were our very first guest on NP Pulse when the topic du jour was COVID-19. And we are so grateful that you are joining us again. Would you mind giving us an update on COVID-19? I know we're in the middle of cold and flu season. We're seeing a lot of respiratory viruses going on right now. What are the infections that are trending right now? And what can we do to help control these? Oh, it seems like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? When we mm -hmm. first began to work with COVID-19. And I think we're at a very different place now with that. But now we're trying to figure out how do we coexist with this coronavirus being one of many respiratory pathogens that impact. seasonal a virus, just like influenza is a seasonal virus. There's still a lot to learn, but a few things that we know. It is still present in our communities. It is still transmissible. Remember, it, this, as well as other respiratory pathogens, are transmitted through the act of breathing. And we all breathe. Therefore, we are all at risk for both transmitting as well as acquiring the infection. So it's still very much here. And we need to recognize that and respect that. Uh, we are not seeing the numbers of hospitalizations nationwide, at least those requiring intensive care. But we know that is still occurring, just like we are seeing those same trends with influenza, a respiratory syncytial virus, or RSV, and a number of other respiratory pathogens uh, that result in pneumonia and other health outcomes. So, you know, we, we still remember that we are, we remain at risk as a human. We remain at risk, and based upon our age and underlying health conditions, 
the sometimes the risk is greater. And then as an NP, recognize then that these pathogens may be vaccine preventable, or at least the health outcomes can be diminished through the use of vaccines. Remembering that we are constantly in discussion with our patients and our families, and even those many over-the-fence conversations that we have and continue to be impactful. I guess that's why the, the general public continues to recognize nursing as the most trusted profession. Absolutely, I, I agree. And Ruth, I did want to ask you about the new RSV vaccine because that's something new. And I think uh, most Americans are seeing commercials on TV about it. We're recognizing it certainly as healthcare providers. Can you share some information about the RSV vaccine? Sure, RSV as a disease is again respiratory transmitted via the act of breathing. And as we age, um, we lose some of our ability, our, our immune system to respond. So age is really a primary risk factor for the development of the most serious consequences uh, due to RSV, just like uh, COVID and influenza. If you have underlying health conditions, asthma, COPD, congestive heart failure, kidney disease, diabetes, and so forth, um, or if you're on immunocompromising drugs, that all places you at risk. The vaccine is an effective vaccine. The information that we have now is that we think the durability is at least two years. So that's good. So that doesn't look like this is an annual vaccine, at least the data that, that we have now. And uh, it, it certainly is something that everyone 60 and older should be having a conversation with their provider. Now, in addition, we know pregnant women also need to be vaccinated. And this is a particularly important, not only for them, but for that baby. So pregnant women may be talking with their OBGYN, their, their um, obstetrical nurse practitioner about receiving that vaccine at gestational age uh, 30, 32 to, to 36 weeks. So it's a, a reminder that, again, when you breathe, you're at risk for a transmissible respiratory infection, but it's not only you. It may be not only others around you, your family, your children, and that unborn baby that may be at risk. It's a good time to, to remember uh, this disease. Absolutely. And that's part of winter wellness. Another part of winter wellness, Terry, is it's important to note that for many years, the holiday season can be stressful physically and emotionally. And a lot of people can go into crisis and have some psychological problems during the holiday season during the winter period. Uh, many people who already suffer from loneliness and isolation um, can have those feelings exacerbated during these winter months. How do we be begin to talk about these feelings with our patients? And what is your message to all NPs when caring for their patients, even if they're not a psych NP like you? So we're all nurses and we were taught about relationships and the relationships with our patients and how we can help them understand so it's not about telling people what to do. It's about listening and finding out what's going on with them. So not being afraid to ask those questions either. Are you finding yourself under a lot of stress? And you listed quite a few, Sophia, but another one is financial stress because particularly those who participate in Christmas or any gift giving kind of thing, uh, I have 10 grandbabies, man, I go crazy. <laughs> I, I just start buying and buying in the boxes. I'm going to have to wrap everything and take a look at the piles and see how they look. And then the bills come in. And then the bills come in. The other thing about winter is 
that oftentimes we tend to stay inside, which at a roost point also we have to breathe. So we're inside and everybody's breathing and everybody's coughing or sneezing or whatever. You're in much closer quarters as far as what NPs need to do is just act like you have the time to sit and talk. Tell me how you're doing, what's going, if, particularly if they've had depression in the past or anything like that, to sit and talk, how are you feeling about it or what are you doing to control it? And one of the simplest things we can do is to get sunlight and to exercise. Now, I tell my patients to exercise. Do I exercise? Eh, not always. But sunlight is critical. We get sudden, something called seasonal affective disorder. Make sure you leave the blinds open so that you get a natural awakening. You can minimize sunglass usage, try to take a walk when there is sunshine out. If you can't, if you're in one of those places where it's a lot of rain, it's a lot of snow, it's a lot of darkness, is to get a, a light that's at least 10,000 lux. And you can find them on the internet, you can Google them, and you sit with it. I used to, when I got a paper, would sit with it for 10 minutes, every, well, however long it took me to write, read the paper. And that can elevate mood. So that's a simple thing to do. They're not expensive, but if you can't afford it, again, sunlight is, is huge. So that's a, a light that mimics sunlight. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you this. Now, I think it's important winter wellness or throughout the year, I think it's important for us as providers to understand that there are some important um, psychological screening tools that you don't have to be a psychiatric provider to utilize in your practice to screen patients for things like depression and anxiety. And in fact, we should utilize these things, I think, more often than we do. Can you speak a little bit to the G87, the PHQ-9, and many suggested other screening tools that you would recommend for even primary care providers to use? And it's important to, to emphasize that they're screening tools. We don't have any diagnostic tools except for a very expensive thing called the SCID. And really, I don't use that even as a psych MP. The PHQ-9, I like it better than the PHQ-2. And I've seen that being utilized in a lot of offices around uh, where I live. And it's a nice screen for depression. It doesn't really screen for much of anything else. And if the person says they're suicidal, if it's a one, you don't need to panic and send them immediately to the hospital. So that's a whole different hour-long conversation about dealing with suicidal clients. I like the Beck inventory. The GAD is fine. There's Beck has a depression inventory and an anxiety inventory. If you are suspecting that there might be bipolarity, you can use the MDQ, the Mood Disorder Questionnaire, which is simple and easy to use. The, the bigger... And remember, again, not diagnostic, okay? So just mm -hmm. because they test positive does not necessarily mean they have bipolar disorder, but it does mean a deeper dive needs to be taken into that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. We know that when our bodies are sick, it can take a toll on our mental health and vice versa. Terry, you spoke to some things that you recommend to your patients in, for emotional wellness. Uh, Ruth, can you speak to some options that NPs and their patients can take advantage of right now that will help them be as physically healthy um, as possible for whatever this winter has in store? I think I agree so much with Terry about getting exercise, getting sunlight, but I think also it's not being afraid to 
talk about how you feel. If there are issues, then making sure that you have someone to speak with. But then I think coming up with a plan, I'm, I'm a planner. I want to look at risk assessment and then coming up with what is it that I need to do to help me address whether it's covert or whether it's overt, whatever that issue is. So when I talk to patients, I, I try to understand them socially, emotionally, uh, spiritually, all of those things that the elements that make up a unique individual and then have them come up with their own plan of action. What is it that's going to work for you? What are some barriers that you have? What is your plan for addressing that? Who is your support system? Now, these types of conversations, and I think nurses in particular are very good with that in having these discussions, asking those questions, allowing our patients and our communities to talk while we listen, actively listen, and then help them come up with a plan that's going to be individualized and suitable for their purposes and not perhaps for someone else's purpose. Absolutely. And I think when I talk about physical wellness, a lot of times with my patients, one of the first things I talk about is a healthy lifestyle, healthy eating as much as possible within their budget. But what I always like to point out is it's not just my patient, but I recommend this for their entire family. So everybody is living a healthy lifestyle together as much as possible. I find that a patient can be more successful if they have not only the emotional support, but if they're trying to get physically healthy, it's obviously best if all members of the, the household can participate in that on that wellness journey as well. Absolutely. And it's important to remember, not everybody has a primary care provider, either by choice or perhaps they are concerned about cost or just um, other access issues. What is a, a great reminder that stressing the importance of having someone that you can discuss health issues, somebody that can help you get on again, a plan for how to deal with any underlying issues or perhaps even discovering underlying issues. And then I think many of us go through that journey where, you know, as a young adult, we feel invincible that we don't necessarily need a primary care provider. But it's important that everybody have that, not only from the very beginning, from your first moments in the world that you have a provider that is looking out for you as, a, as an infant, as a, as a small child, an adolescent, and then uh, through adulthood all the way across the entire lifespan. Remembering that primary care is essential, and that's a role that, that nurse practitioners are taking, not only in middle America, where I live, in rural America, but across the country, that primary care is provided by, and increasingly, by nurse practitioners. Getting on board and finding a, an NP or another healthcare provider that you trust and getting started then with your own plan for wellness. Absolutely. And you touched on, we have this nationwide shortage and projected shortage of primary care providers, but we have, we definitely have a shortage of mental health providers. And I think COVID really, really shed the light on that as far as how much that, that is an issue. I don't know that we can ever have enough mental health providers in this country. Terry, would you agree with me? Oh, you know me. Yes. Uh, there, there are simply not enough people, whether it's nurse practitioners or psychotherapists, psychiatrists, psychologists. My husband's a neuropsychologist and he and I both are in, in the years of retiring. People keep calling him and say, can you do this test? And he say, yeah, okay, I'll do it because there's nobody else. And there's very few people who do what I do, who have the skill set I have. 
But one of the things, if I can just bounce off of what y'all were saying earlier, is there's a, a technique called motivational interviewing, which I wish every nurse and every nurse practitioner would learn how to do. I encourage all nurses to explore that. There are free courses available. There are some that cost a little money, but it's all well worth it. In just a few words, tell me what motivational interviewing is. Motivational interviewing is putting the patient in charge. I know we say we do that, but instead of telling them, like you were talking about encouraging healthy living, and you provide them with all this information and all this education, and do they do it? Here are some things that I suggest that you consider. What does that look like in your life? Can, you're smoking a pack a day, so you really need to quit, right? Could you cut back? Would that fit into your life? When could you get, so you, you get them to agree to things and then you get them to plan. It's about letting them take charge of what's going on. And one of the, the things that I have is telehealth. Telepsych is huge. It has opened and broadened the horizons for many people in rural areas, both in therapy and psych NPs. And when you can build that kind of relationship, telehealth just improves access to care for whatever type of care that's being provided. We really saw the telehealth take off again during COVID-19. I actually met with the Secretary of Health and Human Services a little bit towards the end of COVID and I asked him about telehealth and he said, oh, telehealth isn't going anywhere. So we've really recognized the, the benefits of telehealth about improving access to care. Let me ask you this. So I know that as academics and nurse practitioners, you both practice and preach evidence-based solutions to healthcare problems. What are the most positive developments you both are seeing out of the research field right now regarding your specific um, specialties? And Ruth, I'll ask you first. I have a, a huge interest in vaccines and in general. And because I'm, my emphasis is on disease prevention, how do we look upstream? How do we think about preventing a disease or the worst outcomes instead of waiting until disease happens and then try to fix it, try to address the, the issue? I think many of our advances have been not only in having uh, new types of vaccines that make full use or fuller use of our body's immune system and our immune response, but also, I want to piggyback on what Terry talked about with what are the techniques in that we need to use to talk with our patients about vaccines so we can address vaccine hesitance and vaccine confidence, that whole notion of uh, my patients aren't here to necessarily to let me tell them what to do or be their parent, that I'm their partner. And so techniques such as what Terry mentioned with motivational interviewing, where you know, we're doing, uh, using open-ended questioning, discussion, empathetic approaches, and affirming areas in, in places where we see agreement, and really using listening skills and responding to the questions and concerns that patients have. So we're empowering individuals to make decisions based upon information, based upon the evidence. So many, I think, of our advances are how do we use the science of vaccinology and combine that with our knowledge about how to convey messages and listen 
to our patients, truly meet them where they are, not, not necessarily geographically, but meet them where they are, spiritually, emotionally, educationally, economically, wherever that is, and then approach then our interactions with them uh, differently. It's just one of the things I think that we've learned from this pandemic. Absolutely, I agree. And, and Terry, what are you seeing in the research uh, field right now regarding psychiatric care? There are huge leaps and bounds being made in medical psychopharmacology. We're trying desperately to understand where in the brain and where in the thought process these things come. I think my hardest thing is um, getting patients to recognize or, or helping them understand that a pill can help. And in some, some cases, it's curative, but it's not like taking an antibiotic. This pill coupled with psychotherapy, if at all possible, is um, going to get much better outcomes. And all psychiatric nurse practitioners are trained in at least beginning forms of therapy. They need to get other training and education to really become proficient. But I, I'm excited about where the future is going. I think we're eventually going to have where you can take a cheek swab and then we can find the medication that's going to work for you. Let's talk a little bit about you guys personally. How do you personally keep healthy and happy throughout the year, throughout the holiday season? And how do you um, work to minimize stress, burnout, and illness? Now, Ruth, I understand you have a, a farm. I have a little farm, yes. It doesn't have any animals on it, mostly just unless they're wild, but no cows or sheep or those type of, of animals. But I enjoy being outside. I enjoy having a place that I can get together with my family. I have two sons, two amazing daughter-in-laws, two absolutely amazing grandchildren, and a couple of grand dogs. So I enjoy spending time with them and uh, with the rest of my extended family, brother and sister and so forth. So getting together with family, I'm very fortunate that way. Being outside, I love traveling, but I, I think having some time to reflect, to think about what is truly important and maybe give up things that have caused me stress that are not as important. And, and I, I think having the opportunity to uh, to just be outdoors and, and spend time uh, uh, sometimes alone and reflecting is uh, a very important this is important for my mental health. I think as we age, we all learn about what's truly important in life to us as individuals. And we really focus on that and really try to cut out all the noise. At least for me, I do. What about you, Terry? During the holidays, I, I like to honor traditions as much as we can. And we do Christmas dinner on Christmas Eve. And so the whole extended family comes in and I get great joy from being around family members. It's also stressful. You got to clean the house. You got to get your part of the dinner done, but then I don't care. It's, okay. It, it's here. It is here are the paper plates here. Just dig in, do whatever you want. The other things I do during the year is I plan really good vacations that are restful. So for me, that's scuba diving. I go underwater. Nobody can talk to me. <laughs> All I hear are my bubbles and, and it's very peaceful and very tranquil. My husband and I also try to travel to other places when we can, but we have a lake house where we escape to as often as possible. We made a commitment when we bought it that we would go up at least twice a month. And now we go up 
for extended periods of time as much as possible. But I think everybody has to figure out what makes you happy. And that's sometimes a little bit difficult for people to figure out because they're so busy being in their lives and doing that they don't always think about what makes me happy. What can I do to soothe my soul? There are things that I really like to do that are soothing and it's making myself stop. And I think it's really hard for nurses making myself stop and do something that's just for me, not for my kids, not for my grandkids, not necessarily for my husband, but something that's just for me that makes me happy. So what makes you happy, Sophia? What makes me happy is having both of you here on NP Pulse. <laughs> so I want there we to go. thank I want to thank both of you for joining us today. Uh, it's been a great conversation, um, great discussion about winter wellness, um, taking care of our bodies and our minds. And I want to thank both of you for joining us because I've really enjoyed this conversation. But what makes me happy? I'll tell you this. It's, it's having, a, just like you all, my, my family, my dogs, um, I've got my mother living with me now, so I have to say life is great. So thank you both. Thank you. Thank for the you. We appreciate it. So much. Ruth and Terry, thank you for joining us. To learn even more from today's guests, head over to AANP's Continuing Education Center. Ruth is one of two faculty members presenting the activity Pneumococcal Vaccination Across the Lifespan, which is an overview of pneumococcal disease, which also includes strategies for overcoming barriers to vaccination. Hear more from Terry in the continuing education activity Differentiating MDD and Bipolar Disorder in Primary Care, which will help learners differentiate between depression, bipolar disorder, and atypical mood disorder presentations. Identify scope of practice issues for identification and treatment of complex depression and bipolar disorder in primary care, and so much more. Finally, there's still time to register to join AANP in Washington, D.C. at the 2024 AANP Health Policy Conference on January 28th through the 30th. At this impactful event, you will hear from government and industry experts, gain new advocacy skills, make congressional visits, and connect with NPs from across the country, all while earning approximately 16.5 contact hours of continuing education credit. AANP members can actually save on registration and can take advantage of special conference housing rates at the Grand Hyatt Washington, where the conference will be held. It is an amazing hotel. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to this podcast, share it with your colleagues, and check back regularly for new episodes. And as always, be kind, be safe, be effective, and be the voice of the nurse practitioner. (laughs) 